Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to A Minute with Coach Riggs. Former T.R. Miller head football coach Jamie Riggs shares his views on all aspects of football after a 40-year Hall of Fame high school career. Coach Riggs and his guests will discuss the latest on the local high school and college teams, the current issues that are dominating high school, college, and NFL football, as well as reliving some of the classic moments and history of the game with the people that made it happen. This is A Minute with Coach Riggs. Hey, welcome to episode 10 of A Minute with Coach Riggs, and I am podcasting today from a wonderful uh, Bruton, Alabama. Uh, I did take a trip recently, which I'll talk about briefly, but um, a couple of things before I get started. Uh, First of all, I'm going to try to uh, get episodes out on Thursday and Friday and try to do one a week if I can, and so just kind of let you know what to be expecting along those lines. The other thing I just wanted to mention again is if there are things that uh, you would uh, like to uh, hear on uh, on the podcast, if there are questions you want answered, please let me know. You can uh, tell me in person, call me, text me, message me, or however you want to get a hold of me, and I'll be happy to try to answer those things for you or, or discuss those things for you on our minute with Coach Riggs' Facebook page. I have been having what we call Throwback Thursdays, and I've been taking memorabilia of different things, whether it was video clips, pictures um, of different things um, that that has to do with Miller football. And I know some of you have enjoyed some of that stuff, and so I'm going to continue to do that because I have a lot of things. I'm going to continue to do that if you have items of memorabilia or something you can shoot me a picture of or or let me take a picture of it i'm trying to uh, gather as much of that stuff as i can so that things important that we remember uh what the past was like and uh, when you have a place uh like tr miller the, the past is really important to us uh, we understand the importance of the future but uh, you need to know where you came from and so uh, we would like to continue to uh, gather those things and, and put those things together. One of the throwback Thursdays recently, uh, I believe it was one a couple of weeks ago, I had a picture. Uh, it was about Coach Fred Bowers, who was the T.R. Miller coach in 1960 and 1961. I was reminded by my sister Sherry that um, the Bowers, when they were in Bruton, and they were in Bruton not quite two years, well, the Bowers were in Bruton. Uh, they actually lived two houses down from us on Lindbrook Drive. Now, I, I thought at some point in time, I remember one of the coaches from the late 50s or 60s, you know, living uh, in our neighborhood. But she reminded they were only two houses down. And his oldest son, uh, Buck, who I think they, in those days they called Bucky, you know, and she said that um, they were about the same age. And so she remembered them, but they lived only two houses from us, which I thought was kind of interesting. You know, I ended up coaching at Miller for 27 years, and I actually lived a couple of houses down from the head football coach one time. So, uh, And the other thing is, in that same uh, post on that Throwback Thursday, had a picture with Coach Bowers and with his assistant coach, who was at the time, uh, Joe Wilson. And in those days, you know, in, in like the 30s and 40s, Miller basically had one coach at the school. And by the 50s, they had started bringing in another coach and, and, and had two coaches to handle all the sports in those days, which wasn't much. You know, there was no girls' sports. Uh, they're playing basically football, basketball 
of baseball, you know, they might occasionally do something else, of, of like track or something. But for the most part, because we didn't have a track in those days, but for the most part, it was football, basketball, and baseball. And so they usually had, you know, two coaches in those days to try to handle all that. Well, um, apparently, uh, Coach Joe Wilson was the assistant there one year. And I got a question about him. And the question was, hey, is this the same Joe Wilson who was the uh, head coach at Opelika in the 1980s? And absolutely it was. And... Um, uh, Coach Wilson actually did not stay at T.R. Miller very long. Uh, he was in the National Guard and got his his, his unit got called up. And uh, so he was only in Bruton a, a few months before he left uh, to, to get called up in the Army National Guard. And when he came back out of that, uh, he ended up going, I think, in Georgia and coaching somewhere. And so... He was again. He was originally from Opelika, so he spent some time along the Alabama-Georgia border there, coaching across in Georgia and, and also in the, in Alabama. And the other thing that's a little bit interesting about uh, Coach Wilson that has a T.R. Miller tie is that in the 1970s he was the head football coach at Smith Station, and in 1978 T.R. Miller and Smith Station actually played. And uh, the game was played here in Bruton, and it was a kind of a one-year deal. I guess uh, both of them were lacking a game that year, and they were able to get together and play. And so Coach Wilson actually came back to Bruton and brought his Smith Station to you. And best I can remember, the score ended about something like 37-14. to 14. Miller won the game. Uh, the 78 team was a really good football team. Uh, I remember the game vividly uh, because of the fact that at the time, I was in my first year coaching at Winston County High School in Double Springs, Alabama. And uh, we had won our first game. We had lost four or five in a row. And we had an open date. And so on that Friday, um, we had a short practice. And the coach turned us loose. And so my plan was to uh, come to Bruton and uh, spend the weekend in Bruton. I had been brooding in several weeks, and so uh, as soon as we got let loose, I headed that way. What well, happened to be the night that uh, T.R. Miller and Smith Station were playing. And so I arrived in Bruton. The game was still going on. And uh, I got there, oh, probably the start of the fourth quarter or something like that. And so I watched the rest of the game, saw a few people. When the game ended, uh, I headed up to the dressing room. Now, in 1978, we were still dressing the football team in the old locker room uh, adjacent to the old gym at T.R. Miller. Walked up there after the game. It was the next year, I believe, 1979, when we kind of redid the locker rooms and all up under, the, up under the stadium. So I walked up there that night. I walked up there to see the coaches. I, I knew all of them, of course, and I uh, wanted to go by and see them. I certainly knew some of the players as well when I was a, a, four, I, the summer before I was a senior in high school, I was one of the Little League baseball umpires. And so a lot of those guys like Dow Waltman, Walter Lewis, and those guys that all played Little League baseball. So I had umpires, so I knew a lot of them. On the way up there, uh, when I get there and I walked, walked through the door, the first person I saw was uh, the uh, superintendent of the Bruton City Schools, Mr. Dale Garner. And I hadn't seen Mr. Garner in a while, and so I stopped and chatted with him. And he gave me a piece of advice that night that I've never forgotten. And I don't even think he actually realized what he was doing. Uh, 
but he was asking me about our team, and I told him, I said, well, Scar, we're not very good. We won the first game. We've lost four or five in a row, whatever it is. You know, I said, we're just not very good. And he says, well, he says, take care of them. Coach them hard because he said, they're all you got. And he said, you're not getting any more. And you know what? He was right. And, and I always remember that piece of advice because in later years when I coached on teams and we weren't very good or we weren't as good as we expected or we weren't um, playing like we should be, uh, you know, I tried to remember that advice. You know, take care of them, coach them hard, and because um, they all you got. I had seen coaches down through the years who would, you know, when they had a good team, they would coach like heck, man. I mean, they were really getting after it. They're, they're doing everything they can do to win games. When they realized they didn't have a very good team, uh, they didn't do that. They didn't coach near as hard. So that was a good piece of advice. And I have, I've really shared that advice with, with other coaches down through the years. That was, that was pretty good. The other thing that, uh, that memory brought up for me the other day when I was sitting down thinking about this was, the simple fact that um, in 1978, I was at Double Springs, Alabama. I spent about 10 months up there, really. And so this past weekend, Becky and I uh, drove uh, to uh, Winston County again, and we went um, waterfall hiking in the Bankhead National Forest. Now, we've enjoyed hiking, we enjoy that, and we enjoy waterfall hiking. We've been to you know Georgia, Tennessee, and numerous places in Alabama, uh, waterfall hiking. We've been to North Carolina, and so we, we've been a lot of places waterfall hiking. We enjoy that. But we hadn't been over northwest Alabama to the uh, uh, Bankhead National Forest, and so we decided we'd go over there, and I realized when I started plotting these things that all these waterfalls we were going to check out were in Winston County. I spent 10 months in Winston County, and I'm going to tell you right now, I never knew there were any waterfalls at all. And what's strange about it is the area just north of Double Springs is called the Sipsy River Wilderness Area, and it's known as the Land of a Thousand Waterfalls. I didn't know there were any waterfalls up there. The other thing was just funny the other day is that where I, where I lived can't be but 20 or 30 minutes from a bunch of these waterfalls so anyway that's I guess that's the difference in being in your 20s and being crazy about coaching football and being in your 60s and being retired so so much for my Sipsy River Wilderness adventure but we had a good time up there doing that and I would highly recommend that so I've got some um, questions that people have uh, brought me and so I'm going to try to answer some of those and I call this episode the mailbag so I'm also going to try to answer some of these questions and see if I can um, uh, uh, fix some of you up with some questions that you might have you know sometimes there are just some things that you wonder and wonder how this happened or what went on here or whatever well the first question I got was about the T.R. Miller Fieldhouse how it came about and uh, so let me let me discuss that a little bit. Let me go back to the history of uh, where players have dressed at T.R. Miller since uh, we arrived uh, on campus where we are today uh, in, north, in the north part of Bruton there. We arrived over there in, I think, the fall of 1962. And in those days, the we played at Rotary Field, which was still down at 
where the Bruton Elementary School is now. And so, but we did practice up there. And so we practiced on the baseball field up there. And we dressed uh, those days. They had made a locker room right next to the gym. And it was basically the football and basketball locker room. And so they had put some football lockers in there. And so that's basically where we dressed. Well, in the late 60s, around 1969, something like that, they decided uh, that they were going to need to build an addition onto that so they put a little small addition onto that with a coach's office and uh, so by the time i arrived there in 1970 as a freshman we were in that locker room and it was a pretty nice locker room now it wasn't real big but it was enough that you could get the entire football team in there and we had um, lockers that were you know lower lockers and lockers on top of them as well and uh, so it all worked out pretty well. We had benches we could sit on, and it was it was it was a nice little facility, and it was good. Well, we dressed there uh, throughout the '70s until I believe 1979. And in 1979, we went underneath the stadium there, and we made locker rooms and offices down there. Now let me just say this: the when the stadium was built in 1965. They put locker rooms down there that were really only used during the games, okay? And they were basically unfinished, just concrete floor, block. You know, there were some restrooms in there, but that was it, was it was pretty basic. So when they went under there in 1979, they went under there, put a nicer locker room in there, uh, put carpet throughout. Uh, they put a head coach's office and... Um, three other offices for assistant coaches. There was a little hallway and a bathroom there for the coaches. There was a restroom, of course, and some showers on the far end down by the locker rooms. And if you went on up, there was an area where it was used for a training room and a cage area where you could store equipment and so forth. And then the other locker room that the visitors always dressed in, they left as the visitors locker room right there. And so they carpeted it and tried to make it, you know, nice for the visitors. And then on the other side of that was a couple of rooms that we used actually for weight rooms. I think originally one of them said something about film viewing, but nobody ever watched film in there. We'd use both because they were small rooms. We'd use both of them uh, as weight rooms. And so we did that in 1979. And so that's where we were and still were in 2000. So we had spent 20 years up under the, the stadium there. Uh, tremendous problems up under the stadium with leakage. I mean, I can't even tell you the problems that we had with leakage. My dad was the maintenance man at the time, and he did everything he could do. They, they, the, the stadium had expansion joints in it, and so obviously it leaked through those joints some, and can't tell you how many times they went in there and patched those joints and put rubber over those joints and everything, but eventually it just leaked. It was just a, a constant problem down there with, you know, I mean, you can imagine when you got leaking going on all the time. <clears throat> we also had issues down there the last, um, uh, around 1989, 1990, when I first came back, the big problem was they had built the Walmart shopping center over there. Well, all the water that drained from that shopping center drained up under the street and drained through a drain through the drain system 
and the drain system went between the baseball field and the stadium. And it went towards the end of the stadium there towards the YMCA and then it cut across the road up under Belleville Avenue and drained down towards the creek. All right, the problem is those drain pipes that were handling that water, I'm gonna say were no more than 24 inches. They might even been 18 inch pipes, which is not very big. So by the time we get to 1989, 1990, we, you know, when you, we get those big rains in the summer, we had real flooding problems, and here's what happened. The water would come from the shopping center and start through, and it would hit the pipes up under the stadium there, by the stadium between there and the baseball field, and they would fill up, and then they would gradually start working up. We had some grates outside by the batting cages and all where the surface water went down in the drains. Well, all the water would start coming up those grates, and here it comes, and it would be in the locker room. And so literally around that time, we were having to sandbag the doors of the locker room and offices to keep the water out. So eventually, you know, that was an issue that the, the city finally put a six-foot drain pipe down through there. And so it, to help solve that problem, and we didn't have that problem anymore. By 1995... Uh, we had started having some conversations about getting us some kind of field house. And I know that after the 95 season, uh, Lynn Smith, who's our superintendent, Lynn and I went, we went to Phoenix City, Opelika. We looked at some places where people had built, kind of built field houses. And, and there wasn't a lot of that going on at the time. And uh, But we looked at, at some of those things, got some ideas of what we wanted to do to be able to drop some plans and that kind of thing. Well, it kind of got put on a hold for a couple of years. And finally, in uh, 1998, uh, it really got bad up on the stadium. We had been fighting that for so long. And I think eventually we had uh, some of our board members came down and checked that out one day. And they left and said, we got to do something about this. We decided we were going to build a field house. And uh, they did a great job of drawing the plans. And one of the things that, that really helped with this was that uh, one of our board members was Terrell Neal. And Terrell was an architect. And so Terrell worked a lot with me on what we wanted, how big we wanted everything, the size we wanted. And I kind of described some things that I, I would like to see. And so the great thing for me personally was that when we did the field house is that I got to pretty much design it. And uh, even when I left a few years ago and retired, it was a very functional field house. And we wanted it to be um, a, a place that... Um, players wanted to come. We wanted to be plenty of room in there. I wanted to be a place where, where all the coaches could have their own office and then we had meeting rooms where the coaches could go out in those rooms and meet. Um, we wanted a nice uh, weight room in there and a locker room that was big enough for us to meet the entire team in there. You know, in, up on the stadium there, we'd had such a little old bitty area to put, um, to tape in as a training room, we had a little old area, a little cage area to put equipment in. And we needed something so much bigger and all. And so we designed bigger training rooms. I had folks told me we had the biggest training room they'd ever seen. We designed training rooms and equipment rooms big enough that we had plenty of room to store things. We also wanted a room in there that we could use as a meeting room, all right? Something that we could have quarterback club, quarterback club meetings in 
something that if somebody in the community wanted to part have a meeting, they could have a meeting. And then the other thing that I wanted to do with the building was we wanted this building as much as a functional field house for football, we wanted it to be a museum. We wanted to be able to take the history of Miller football and put it throughout this building. And I had all kind of stuff in those days, but I didn't have anywhere to put anything. I had stuff stacked up in my office up on the stadium there. So we were able to do that and really appreciative to you know, Lynn Smith, who was superintendent at the time, and, and really Terrell Neal, who did such a great job of working and making it happen. We, you know, we got we got all our colors in there. Um, there was just so many things that were good, and it was first class for years. I had a number of people uh, each year come by. They would always come by and look at our field house and see it and talk about it. And I can remember the first couple of years we were there, you know, college coaches would come in, and they were just amazed at, you know, what they saw when they when they saw that, you know. So, um, And I think in the last couple of years, you know, Coach Hubbard and them have kind of repaired some things, replaced some things, and... Um, and, and kind of spruced it up a little bit. It really looks good in there. So that's the way that the uh, field house came to be. And um, they were working on it during the uh, 2000 season. And we actually got in it in May of 2001. So the um, uh, 2001 team was the first team that we had uh, that was a part of that new field house. So, you know, that's the way the, the whole thing came to be. And uh, hopefully it'll be there for a while longer. Another question I got asked was about um, the distractions of players down through the years. Was uh, was it harder to get players uh, today to pay attention to what they should than it was in other years? And has the distractions changed? And I would tell you in answer to that question that the distractions have never changed. Uh, they're the same as they have been. The number one distraction of football players is girls. It has been, it always will be. All right, when they when they played the very first year of high school football, girls were a distraction. It's just part of it. And as coaches, we understand that that's a battle that you're not gonna win. So you just have to manage it the best you can. I would say the number two distraction of football players probably cheerleaders. The number three distraction of football players, probably majorettes. So I hope that answered your question and that that, uh, that made some, some sense to you. I also got asked about um, our offensive philosophy down through the years. And so I won't talk about this for a minute. I won't bore you with this, but hopefully you can understand um, what we're talking about. In 1989 was my first year at Miller. Uh, I came in, we were running on offense, I formation, and we ran a bunch of plays. And um, we were an I formation offense. We ran a, a lead play, which means you just go run up inside, lead the fullback. And uh, by the way, I formation means we have a fullback and a tailback, two backs in the backfield, and they're stacked behind each other. We ran a lead play. We were running some option plays where we would uh, hand the ball off to the fullback, then fake to the fullback and carry the option out. Uh, we were running sweeps. Uh, we were running off-tackle power plays. We had a, some counter plays we ran, and we trapped in with the fullback up inside. We had a small passing game, not a huge passing game, a small passing game. 
And that was basically our offense. And as a year wore on, uh, what we came to realize is that probably the best play we were running was the sweep, when we would just turn around, tossing the ball, the tailback, giving the ball, letting him go. Had two really good tailbacks. One was a sophomore, James Fountain, and the other one was a junior, Ron Gibson. And unfortunately, somewhere down there in the middle of the year, somewhere Ron got an ankle injury, and it really limited him, and he wasn't able to do what um, you know he had been capable of doing before that. But I realized that this is the best play we've got. We finally got to we did end up making it to the third round of the playoffs, and we were scheduled to play Pike County. Pike County won the state championship the year before; they were the favorite to win it again. They had a terrific football team. They're coming to Bruton to play. So in preparing for them, I pretty much, because of their size and their speed and their strength, I pretty much talked myself out of running the sweep. I just didn't think we could run it on them. I didn't think we could handle them. I didn't think we could block them. They were so fast. And so I just said, well, we, we'll do very little of that, and we were trying to do some other things. Well, we get behind in the game. We finally made a comeback down there in the second half and uh, made the game a little closer. But at the end of the thing, you know, I go back and look at the film. Um, we ran our sweep play three times during the game. We gained good yardage on it every time we ran it. You know, and I, I remember watching that thinking, you dummy, this is the best play you've had for a month. And you let the other team talk you out of running it but three times. I said, that's crazy. Uh, in the off season that year, I went to a clinic and I heard this guy get up talking. He says, hey, you know, like on offense, what are you known for? I mean, when, when people say they're playing your team, do they know immediately what they're going to be defending, what you're known for? He said, you should do something so good that everybody respects it. You should do something so good that everybody's going to do some special things to stop it. And you know what? That made a lot of sense with me. And so I decided to, to take a good look at our team. And when I looked at our team, I thought that our talent lied in our running backs. At the time, that's that's what we had year after year. We seemed to have pretty good running backs. And so I decided, looking at that, that maybe the best thing we could do is just turn around and run the sweep. And so I decided that we were going to be a sweep team and we were going to learn everything we could learn about it. And uh, that's what we started to do. And uh, I had a tape from 1986, a videotape of Alabama, Tennessee. And what had happened that year when Alabama played Tennessee? Well, let me start the year before. 1985, Alabama played Tennessee in Birmingham, and uh, Tennessee wins the game. Alabama was trying to throw the ball. Ray Perkins was the coach. They were trying to throw the ball. And Tennessee had all these elaborate blitzes they were running. Alabama had a lot of problem picking those up. Uh, the next year, they're going to Knoxville to play, and it was the same issue. Alabama was throwing the ball pretty well, but they had all these blitzes that they thought they were going to have to deal with that they didn't deal with very good the year before. So what Ray Perkins decided that he was going to do was instead of throwing the ball very much, he was going to line up and run the sweeps because uh, he felt like that Tennessee's defense was a little undersized. They were, they were fast, but they were a little undersized. And he had a couple of really good tight ends, and they were going to put them up there, and they were going to toss the ball. They had two terrific running backs, and Bobby Humphrey and Gene Jelts, and they were going to toss the ball. And they must have run toss sweep at least 30 times that day, and they, they, they destroyed Tennessee. 
And so I had a copy of that tape, and we studied that tape. I'm telling you, I, I, hour after hour after hour, watched that tape. We watched the techniques they used, how they blocked the formations they used, how they pulled their guards, the whole deal. So when we got ready to start the 1990 season, we went to run a sweep, and I, and I announced, and I used to do this for the players, I announced to them, uh, we're going to be a sweep team. That's what we're going to do. Okay? Every week, we're going to be a sweep team. I don't care who we're playing. We're going to run it. We're going to run it every week, and we're going to run it good. If we run it good, we're going to win. If we don't run it so good, we're probably going to lose because we are going to run it, and we're going to run it every Friday night we play. We're going to run the sweep. And so I'm, I made a pretty big deal out of it. I had Ron Gibson and James Fountain. They were all both a year older, and Ron was healthy. And um, that year, uh, we rushed for, I think, 4,250 yards, which has to be a school record. And uh, Ron had like 2,200 yards himself. So the philosophy was good, and we stayed with it. And the great thing about the sweet plays, you can run out of any formation you want to run it out of. You know, we ran out of one-back formations and all, all kinds of different things. So. That's where the whole idea of the thing came from. And so uh, I had studied Vince Lombardi. Lombardi had a sweet play he ran. And I saw a video one time of Lombardi uh, talking about his play. And he talked for an hour about the one play. You know, that's how much he knew about it. And so we tried to learn that much about this play. And we set our blockers and everybody so that they could block this play. We didn't want a big center. We wanted a center that was quick, that could reach people. We wanted our bigger tackle on our tight end side. We were always going to play with a tight end if we could. Uh, we were going to, I needed a guard on our tight end side that could pull and fast enough and around to block linebackers. And we, we, if we had a bigger guard, we would play him on the split end side over there. And so we just, we, we set personnel up to run this play. And it turned out to be one of the best things we ever did. And we stayed with that philosophy. Uh, I started in 1990. We had the same philosophy uh, the last fall I coached, which was 2015 at Miller, and it was very, very good to us. Now, we had a complete offense off this thing. We ran a little what we called a belly play to the fullback. We were kind of fake like we are going to run sweep and hand it off to him. At times, we would run counters to some of the receivers coming back up under. Uh, we ran reverses. Uh, we had a complete passing game. We ran off of it. Um, two of our favorite plays were the halfback pass and the flea flicker. The halfback pass, you toss it to the running back just like make it look just like the sweep, and then he throws the ball. Another uh, play was the, what we call the flea flicker. We would toss them. And this play came from Florida. I got this from Steve Spurrier. He, he used to do this. Toss the ball back there, and then the running back would catch it, stop, hand it back to the quarterback, and the quarterback would throw the ball. When we played teams that were going to load up on us, we call it loading the box. In other words, they're going to bring as many people to the line screen as they can, try to keep us from running the ball and dare us to throw it. When the, they were going to do that, um, the halfback pass, the flea flickers, just killed them every time. I remember. Back in, uh, I think it was 1996, we played Tallahassee, and when the game started, I mean, they got everybody to line of scrimmage. And about the second or third series of the game, uh, we threw a halfback pass. And I remember, uh, I believe Shea Gibson caught it, and I've never seen anybody that wide open, I don't believe. He was, he was 
right out there by himself. And so as soon as you ran a play like that and did that, they backed up. Um, it, it was a good thing to have those things in. The flea flicker had been a great play for us. Um, we threw it for a touchdown pass, I know, in the 2002 state championship game. In the semifinals in 2000, we had a, a big play on it. Uh, Pat Burns, Luke Smith, and down through the years, we just had great success with the players. Loved that play. So the, the sweep became a complete offense for us. It also made us very physical. Made us very physical. Another thing that helped us run that play is that um, at some point in time back there in the 90s, early to mid-90s, I went to um, watch Troy practice one day, and they were doing what we call half-line. And we had done half-line stuff for a long time. Half-line means that you take half of your offensive line and half of the defense, and you're running plays, say, to the left every time. And then you take the other half of the offensive line, maybe the right side, and the other half of the defense, and they're standing over there waiting for the other ones to get done. So you'd run the play to the left, then you'd run the play to the right. And so it allowed you to concentrate on some things a little bit more. And they they had their their main play was an option play, and they would run their option play. They'd run left, and then run right, left and right with the half line. I thought, man, we ought to be doing that with our, our sweet play. And so uh, I, we got the point that we mastered this drill. And uh, I would go in there and write everybody I wanted on offense and defense on both sides. And we towed the defense every time. Occasionally we'd run something else, but 95% of the time we're running a sweep. And we wanted the defense to know that we were running sweep. And I told the offense, they know we're running a sweep. Let's let them stop us. It was a great drill. I could, I could put whatever personnel I wanted to out there. I could put guys on defense over there. I was pretty sure we were going to block pretty good. I wanted to build a little confidence. If I wanted it to be a little tougher day, I could put some, some better guys over there, make it a little tougher over there. But um, it's a powerful thing when you line up and start running a play against the defense, and they know what the play is, and they can't stop it. And that would happen to us in a game. One of the best things about the uh, sweep uh, offense was there were times, I can remember times, when we would line up, get in a certain formation, or, or put a guy in motion, and the defense is hollering, sweep, 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 sweep. And um, we would take the ball, toss it, run it, and make 10 yards. And the players would come back and say, Coach, they're hollering, sweep, sweep. And I said, yeah, and we're making 10 yards. What does that say? And, uh, so, and the other thing about the sweep that we believed was we wanted to be so good at it that at the end of the game, when we're tired and the defense is tired, we believe that we would be better at running it than they would be at defending it. And there were a lot of times down through the years where we, we had a close game, and in the fourth quarter we ran 10 or 12 sweeps in the fourth quarter and just killed people because they were just dead dog tired. And we were making them run and chase that ball some. So that was our philosophy a little bit. And it was, it was really a good philosophy served us very well now obviously we did some other things but uh that was really what we were known for and we were known for that throughout the state of alabama throughout the state of alabama everybody i don't care what classification it was everybody knew that we were a sweep team and uh down through the years had a lot of coaches call ask questions and you know um, uh, just you know, learn, want to know how we did it and how we, um, how we, uh, the different formations that we used and the techniques we used. A lot of people used to ask me, so what do you tell your back? What do you tell your back? And I used to tell them, I said, well, I don't really tell him much of anything, but we run the sweep drill 
And what I would do is a lot of times we ran that drill, I would put my younger running backs up there, not my older ones, because a lot of times I don't want my best one getting tackled that much in practice anyway. I'd put the young ones up there with a good offensive line. And I said, they learned where the holes were. When they were young, they'd run by the holes sometimes because a lot of times that play starts wide, but it cuts back. And it didn't take them long to figure that deal out. And so uh, they, they would ask questions like that. And the other thing that um, I, I thought was interesting is that there were a lot of times we'd play a playoff game or something, and the coach of the team we were playing I guess he was asked, you know, what y'all going to need have to do to stop T.R. Miller? And he would start talking about trying to defend our sweep play, that we're going to have to stop him from running the sweep if we won't win the game. And I loved it when that happened. And occasionally we'd line up and play somebody like in the playoffs, and I'd just tell the players, I just don't think they're going to do a good job of defending the sweep. And uh, that happened to us uh, in 2000 uh, against Fayette County. And uh, when we started getting ready for the game, I announced to the players, I think their team, we need to run a bunch of sweep on them. Boy, they got smiles on their face because they knew we were good at that. So that's just kind of where that philosophy came from. By the way, make things, I things change a little bit. My last year at Houston Academy, which was 2020, I had a eighth grade quarterback, was a really good player, Caden Mitchell, and he could run and throw the ball. And so we got in four wide receivers and uh, in the shotgun. And what we started doing is running a bunch of what we call speed sweep. That means we would take one of the wide receivers, we'd put him in motion real fast. You've seen this in pros, college, and everywhere. Put him in motion real fast. We'd snap the ball to the quarterback. And the quarterback had kind of put it in his, in his uh, pocket or in his belly when he would go by and hand the ball to him, and then the quarterback would fake like he had the ball. Well, sometimes we'd put that guy in motion, we would fake the ball to him, and the quarterback would run to the side of the speed sweep. Sometimes he would fake the ball to him and run to the back side, the side he was coming from. So essentially we had some plays and all set up very similar to what we were doing with the sweep out of the eye formation. and so. We had a passing game off of it. We had a bootleg pass that we ran. Um, a couple of other things that we were able to do that we couldn't do out of the eye formation very good is one of them is we ran some of the stuff you always hear about these days, the RPO, it stands for run pass option. And sometimes we'd put that guy in motion and our, we would take the wide receiver that was on the side of the motion guy and then run like a little quick out or something. And we would tell the quarterback, hey, you look out there and they're not covering that route right there. So you can just fake it to that guy and throw the ball out there to your receiver. And so we started doing some of that. We had some good success with that. So that's kind of what we were doing when um, my last year when I was coaching. And I would really, you know, had I stayed, uh, we would have expanded on that and tried to, uh, to make that offense something special. But the whole thing was we were trying to make them defend the fast play and get them, get them running, get them worried about this play. And then we were able to do some other things. So that's just the philosophy of that. That's what we did, and it was good to us for quite a number of years. So anyway, um, again, thanks for tuning in. And uh, you got questions again. I've got three or four more questions people have asked me. I'll do that on a, another edition of uh, Mailbag. So um, stay up with us. we got some things coming up here in the next month or so that I think is going to interest you. And um, so stay tuned and uh, come back to a minute with Coach Riggs. Thanks. Mm -hmm.